As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. How do I sound now? I sound okay? Did you ask Pop that question? Let's do it. Welcome to The Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on The Athletic Podcast Network. Okay, it's a scary, scary times, man. You know, I didn't come here to preach to you today. Ready to rock and roll, everybody? And and Marcus, I I know because you're a Bay Area guy that I think in the whole lexicon of hip hop history, the Bay Area is really uh, underrated for what they've produced and given to hip hop. Absolutely, you hear that, DA? That's what we do. I never argued that. Never argued otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me get let's let's finish up on this one. What what is the quintessential man? The Martian lands on Earth and says, what is hip hop music? What would you play? What would you, what would you hit on your, on your phone? I would give them Illmatic. Okay. Oh, you cannot, you cannot just throw up your W flag and then go with Illmatic? It is a quintessential hip hop oh. album. That's, that's <laughs> quintessential Marcus, New that's, York hip hop That's not even debatable. Oh, come on. <laughs> that is a quintessential. Nah, it is, come on. <laughs> What, what would you give them? Not, not Ill. Illmatic is the most New York album of all time. It basically says there is no other hip hop music outside of New York. Wake up. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy, your voice of choice. The world's only 12-hour strong man on the air. Here on We Love Radio 108 FM. The last on your dial, but first in your hearts. And that's the truth, Ruth. Here I am. Am I here? You know it. It, you know. This is Mr. Senior Love Daddy doing the nasty to your ears, your ears to the nasty. Eyes only play the platters that matter, the matters they platter. And that's the Taruk Root. From the heart of bed you're listening to We Love Radio. Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason on the Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and just like the bullets in his braggadocia. I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than Shaq. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing him. Yes. <laughs> And then he had their lungs out in front of everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. It was popping in there. And Marcus Thompson. I just can't get with this idea of taking one hour of content yeah. and finding the morsel that might pop and blowing at it. Welcome to Hoop 5 4. We have ignition. And it is another edition of Hoops. Jason Miller. The comic is. David Olsen. What's up, sir? How are you on this wonderful day? This is a special edition of Hoops Adjacent. Uh, I am I am I'm taking over host duties today because David Aldridge is currently grilling Washington Commanders head coach Ron Rivera. And I use grilling facetiously because they look like they were having a great time. But in his capacity as Mr. DC Sports, he is off. So you got me. Your host, Marcus Thompson, and I'm with the homie, Jonathan Abrams, my, my superstar from way back uh, on book number three. I was really excited to get you in here because we got to talk about the come up. Uh, uh, and 
especially your come up, by the way, Mr. Sports Journalism Institute. Let's go. <laughs> my friend, my partner, my brother. How you doing, Marcus? I'm exhausted, to be honest. Like, I'm ready. I'm not ready for this NBA season to start. Like, yo, how are you going to promote a book? Like, uh, uh, after writing this, like, epic Lord of the Rings level book. <laughs> I mean, this is like some Harry Potter. You interviewed 300 people. Why are you not, like, in a cot somewhere recuperating? Like, I don't understand how you go have, how you going to promote this book? <laughs> I know, I know. It's, uh, it's funny because I remember telling you about it years ago, right? And like the response that I got from you, kind of like a raised eyebrow, like you're really going to do a, a history book on all of hip hop, all of it. <laughs> it sounded huge. <laughs> it sounded huge. <laughs> but, uh, you know, three, four years later, we're here. It's a book that I'm proud of. Low key. Um, you know, this is dope about your books. They all kind of have like this, hip hop undercurrent that connects them right like even from B boys among men uh to you know all the pieces matter and then you just said hey no more undercurrents let's just go heavy at the actual <laughs> the actual topic how how much of this how much of the books you choose is a reflection of you and like what you're interested in and where you're from etc I think whenever you choose a book topic, you're always going to have to choose something that really interests you because writing a book is it's an isolating endeavor, right? That subject is going to stay with you for two, three, four years. You're going to be sick of it. So it has to be something that you love and that you're passionate about. And that was the same with the high school, the pro book. It was the same with the wire. It was the same with hip hop. It's just been a constant ally throughout my life, something that motivates me, something that educates me, something that I turn to when I'm up or down or just just whenever. And I knew that as much as I knew about hip hop, that reporting this book, I'd, I'd learn a lot more. And that certainly was the case. So the come up drops October 18th, right? October 18th. Uh, here, here's, the, here's the interesting part. So I, I have always attributed in my own mind mostly because I'm from that era, the rise of the NBA with hip hop, like the, the, the interconnectedness of the Michael Jordan era and hip hop. I still remember LL Cool J wearing a pair of uh, Air Jordans on the, on the cover of his album, on the back cover. Uh, how, how linked is NBA is basketball and hip hop. And did that, did that link but you know, really illuminate as you did all this research about hip hop from its origins. It's it's amazing how linked they are. And I thank you for mentioning Michael Jordan, because most people wouldn't necessarily think of Michael Jordan as hip hop, right? Because he but ain't. If, <laughs> no, but if you if you look at his rise in the 80s along with hip hop's rise in the late 80s, they really coincide with one another. Now, Michael Jordan may not be hip hop the same way that Allen Iverson was when AI came through, you know, in the, the early 2000s. But you look at that crossover into the mainstream where it really penetrates pop culture. Those two things have done it. Uh, African-American uh, the background and culture, those two things are probably the, mo the things that have permeated American culture the most. I, I feel like hip hop. I don't want to say like May Jordan because Jordan was Jordan, but his ability to captivate the hip hop audience is what got us excited about the NBA, which then infused the NBA. But there was just something about like his rebellious nature, right? There was something about his swag that, that got us hooked. And as a result, you know, this thing kind of took off. So I, I definitely feel like there was some attribution like there's some credit for hip hop. And I'm just saying this, Jonathan, because that was me. I was the one getting robbed from my Jordans at the Coliseum Bart station. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how that's how crazy it was. But to me, it felt like that was I wanted I wanted to credit hip hop for that. Just, you know, obviously, again, Jordan was great, but I don't think people make that connection as much. And I'm glad like the come up is going to break down like the real the way hip hop came went from like a birthday party. Was it a birthday party, right? Like to it, this it like a, global yeah, going, going back to school party. Back to school party. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. DJ Cool Hurt. Is that real or is that just a story we going with? 
<laughs> Yo, everything. I feel like back back in the early seventies, right? Everything is kind of up for debate. No, nobody knew what hip hop was going to become back then, so nobody was documenting everything as it happened. Um, but I think that that's the the jumping off point that everybody goes with. When you wrote, when you wrote "Boys Among Men," right? Did you expect you would become like an author? I mean, you were like a journalist writer, right? And now maybe uh, there's probably a universe where people know you more as an author than a journalist. Like, did you know you would be like, this would, this is what you would do? I, it was something that I was hoping for. I grew up loving to read books and shoot, I figured that I read enough of, uh, enough of them coming up that I could probably do a decent job on one. I think every book is different. It's a different experience. Uh, three, three is a lot. And I feel like I've been on a book probably for much of the last decade. So we'll see if I've got another one or two in me. I don't know at this time. <laughs> Man, it, it's, it, it's such a, it's such a calling. It seems like when someone writes one book, they want, they keep writing books. They know you see very few people that just write one and then they go back <laughs> to, to daily journalism, right? Like they're kind of all in, like, did you have any, influencers that you looked at like a Ralph Wiley or someone like that, or people like that, that were in daily journalism, but then went to doing just this for the rest of their career. Yeah. And, you know, let's not get it twisted. Like I still love writing for the times and writing for newspapers, but you know, somebody that I think that we can all look up to is somebody like Bill Roden, who was able to, to do books and still have his columnist job at the times and how he, went about his way professionally is he's somebody who's always stuck out to me as, you know, that's the right way to do it. So did you, did you ever almost die reporting this book? Did I ever almost die? <laughs> I mean, I can imagine, I could just see you in like the grimiest Brooklyn hood. Like, <laughs> you, you, you know what ended up happening? I didn't that, appreciate that question. <laughs> a, a lot of, uh, a lot of the reporting happened during the pandemic. So a lot of it ended up being phone calls and I wasn't able to travel as much as I could. I will tell you all a funny story was that, you know, going into this, I knew I wasn't going to have the, the best success rate because asking hip hop artists to talk about their lives and careers for free for, you know, an hour, two hours, <laughs> you know, they're not going to respond to that so readily. So one person there their handler was like, okay, cool. You can talk to them, but the first 20 minutes is going to be free. Anything above that, we're going to charge you $500. So I did the interview and it was a great interview. And his answers ended up being a little bit longer. And I'm like sitting there watching my phone being like, man, I hope I don't go over 20. I hope I don't go over 20. And I was trying to get him off the phone at about 19 minutes and 30 seconds. <laughs> but he kept going. And it ended up probably being like 22 minutes. And then right afterwards, they hit me up. And they're like, yo, we said 20 minutes. I was That was 22. And luckily, I talked them out of the $500, but... Yeah. Well, hold on. You was they was trying to get five hundred for two minutes for the extra two minutes. Yes. For four minutes? Was, it can't be five hundred minutes per minute. <laughs> yeah, like two fifty a minute. Like <laughs> I thought it was like the next twenty minutes is five hundred. Right, right. like, yeah, like they no, was like, it, bro, if you go over, it's five hundred. Like that's crazy. Yeah, my boy had a stopwatch on that. <laughs> I was, I was trying not to go over. I'm about to do that, DA. Like, right, uh, right. Man, you asking me to speak in something for first 20 minutes free. <laughs> and then, and then yeah, then take forever to answer the questions. Man. That's hilarious. So, John, what Jonathan, what was the what was a moment of surprise for you in your doing your research and your calls? Something that, that you just did not know. I think I knew going in what a large an expansive story hip hop was, but I think the theme that kept coming through over and over again was how it was this remarkable journey that this thing was really started in the Bronx with these neglected kids. There was decay everywhere. They had nothing, literally nothing to really turn to. And they created hip hop out of nothing. And it's marched toward becoming what it is today you know, the most influential, most listened to musical genre on earth. I mean, it's a 
great, grand, amazing, wonderful journey that I don't know if it's ever been replicated in almost anything across American history. The, the I mean, blues, the American yeah. blues and jazz, jazz are the only right. things that are comparable, right? Right. But and they they're they're beautiful musical genres, but you look at where hip hop is now and and hip hop is pop culture and it's penetrated, you know, everything. Here's a philosophical question, maybe for you too, DA. Uh yeah. Cause you from that era who used to hate on hip hop, not you specifically, but you from the area like turn that racket down. I did not hate it. Do you know what I, I just love go go music. That's because I'm from DC. Well, how do you not love go go music, especially what happens while go go music is playing? <laughs> is the embrace of hip hop because of the music or because of like the culture and the people? Uh, what do you think has been the magnet that you know? the draw that has made this such a global phenom. Hmm. You want to take that first deal? No, dude, you're the expert. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just a, a passenger on this trip. <laughs> no, I think, I think that look, black culture, people, people love it. You know, there's been so many instances where not necessarily black people have been loved, but the art and artistry that black people have been able to create. It's usually widely widely consumed and it's very very influential and i think hip-hop may be the greatest example of that i i would i would say you know i think it, it's a lot of different things but i also think it's the time that it came out because if if you talk late 70s early 80s especially in this in the cities black folks were catching hell you know with the Reagan era was not kind to black people. Okay. It just wasn't. Um, and so you had this kind of, you had this systemic racism to me that had, that's been there for 400 years. That was already, you know, a difficult thing, if not impossible to overcome. And then you just had this additional kind of prison industrial complex that was brought about because of Reagan era policies about cocaine about crack right and so they went nuts about putting people in prison and and just you know really making demonizing it right like people half of the country is, is on meth right now but apparently that's different i can't imagine what the difference is but it's different you know what i mean like um but back then it was like we got to put all these people in prison and all you know there's all this it was just horrible and so i don't you i mean i would again defer to you jonathan but to me that created the kind of environment in which what they used to call message music, right? Back in the 60s and 70s, Gil Scott Heron and War and people like that resonated with a whole new generation of people from a whole new generation of, of providers, right? And these were people that they knew, these are people that they grew up with, same neighborhoods. And they were able to really really get to people, really reach people at a whole different level because of everything that was happening at that time. Yeah. And if you if you look at the roots of hip hop and when it was first starting to become commercially available, you think about Rapper's Delight and yeah. it was really party music at the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. It was the hip hop, the hippity hip hop. They weren't saying too much, but then you get three years later, I think the message came out in 1982. Right. And you start to hear the broken glass everywhere and it's starting to become a reflection of the environments. And that was when that was one of the first instances where people believed that, hey, this could be something more than just party music. This could be a social vehicle for helping to explain the conditions that we're in. And then so that comes out in 1982. By the end of the decade, you have a group like Public Enemy coming out. And I think right. that's really when you start to see an NWA, being, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's yeah. almost like the, it's almost like a split there where public enemy comes out and NWA comes out right after. And it's almost like, which way is hip hop going to turn? Is it going to turn towards gangster rap and what's coming out on the West coast or this social urgency that's being displayed by public enemy. So that was almost like a tug of war time, but it's also different ways of describing what's going on and, and what they're seeing and how, they're being impacted by these, by the Reagan administration, basically. What, what's fascinating to me is like the, the I guess the sudden, it feels sudden anyway, 
the embrace of mainstream sports of hip hop, right? Like mm-hmm. you can literally not participate in any sporting event, like maybe Wimbledon, but like <laughs> if you're in America and you had a sporting <laughs> event, like you're going to get some hip hop blaring at you. When do you think that became like, uh, you know, the norm? Like when did, when did sports decide to say, all right, we're, we're going to walk this in because it feel like, and you probably remember this from like boys among men, like so much about, you know, the age limit and the dress code is about kind of getting that element out. Right. Or at least hiding it. When did it become like, you know what? Come on, bring it, bring in the whole party. Soldier boy, all of them. Come on. let's go. And you know, as, as you're, as you're asking that question, the song that keeps playing in my head is the Memphis Grizzlies and whoop that trick. And yeah, you yeah, know yeah. What? Like that wouldn't have been the norm like a decade ago. That that's a good question. I'm trying to think of when it became so. I think it's Iverson. I think it's AI. I think but, but, AI was completely responsible. But Mar- Marcus is right though. But the NBA was trying to almost separate itself from, they tried, from AI at that time. But they kept. But he. But his popularity was such. I think when AI went to China, right? He started doing those promotional tours with Reebok in China. And they saw millions of Chinese people, <laughs> you know, you know, just go losing their minds because AI was. I think that opened up a lot of eyes in the NBA. Yeah, and they had to, and then it made them say, maybe we need to lean into this rather than try to push it away. And you remember those Jada Kiss commercials with AI? Those yeah. were epic, man. Yeah, oh. yeah. I think AI was hugely responsible. That's why I love AI. Market. Like AI was the first to me the first like popularized representation of like hip hop on this level. Yeah. Like he was hip hop. Yeah. On TV. (laughs) What about the, the fab five as well? Absolutely. Yeah. No question. No question. Yeah. Sure. Sure. No question. UNLV too. UNLV too. UNLV. Yeah. 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 Cause they were definitely, UNLV was definitely, you know, associated with... Did Larry with Johnson have a gold tooth then? Did he have the gold tooth for you? Yeah. Well, I mean, he did early in his career. Sure, sure. But they were wearing yeah. the jerseys. They were wearing the NWA the baggy you know, shorts, jerseys yeah. and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, they had a big party to do with it, too. Um, but it is fascinating to watch the the kind of, as you mentioned, Marcus, the, the dress code is is a direct Allen Iverson response. Like, it's literally... We can't have people dressing like Allen Iverson on the bench. We can't have it, you know, because because we did Republican focus groups told us this was a bad thing, right? And so they tried to get rid of it, and it wound up – what wound up happening is everybody in the league is inked up now. Everybody in the league is wearing cornrows. Like, you know, you, you had the exact opposite effect because you pushed against it to me. Yeah. What do you, what do you think – Even more popular. DA, what do you think would have happened – if the NBA had embraced it from the get-go? I think it would have been a very, I think there would have been much, m- many fewer guys that idolized AI. Because part of the, I think part of the idolizing of AI was he was pushing against the NBA. He was staying authentically to himself. He did not get bought out. He did not get co-opted. He did not sell out. You know what I mean? Like he wouldn't wear a suit. He wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like all the things that that they said, you have to do because Michael Jordan did it. He did the exact opposite of all of that and was as popular as anybody in the league, was the most popular guy in the NBA for years, you know? And so I think it would have been, maybe it would have been less impactful. I don't know that. That's just my opinion. That doesn't mean I wonder if they would have lost fans at that time. Like, I mean, we saw, I mean, this is not connected as much as they try to connect it, but like, after the malice at the palace, right? They were right. That that's when this push came to like we don't want this element in the game. But yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. largely a response to the fan Partly. base, right? Like Partly. like hey, we don't want this. Yeah, but, but I I don't know. I feel like one thing hip hop has done, Jonathan, is it's shown the commercial power of black people, <laughs> right? Like it's shown like wait a second, it's money in the ghetto, <laughs> you know, as as Too Short said, like. Do, do you kind of get that sense that people do realize, hey, there, there's there's a lot of profit to be made here? Oh, without a doubt. And one of the people who I talked to in the book, they were describing Biggie and Jay-Z and their similarities. And they were saying that Jay-Z is a evolution of how Biggie would have been. That Biggie was a guy who was married to the rap diva who was trying to set up his friends to become millionaires. 
But what he figured out was that the money wasn't necessarily in hip hop and delivering these albums, but it was monetizing the culture around hip hop. So it's, you know, Jay-Z with Tidal and Jay-Z with all these, uh, with Barclays and Rockaware and all this other stuff that, you know, it's not really his, his music where he became a billionaire. It's everything outside of that. I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman, right? <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the I, I'm sure you got into this into the in the book. I'm I'm I was always I'm just remain fascinated. I think most people do about about Biggie and Tupac and everything that that went down with that. And did you get any more clarity about? that era and what went on during that era in your research and in your book? Yeah, I think there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes that was going on with, with Suge Knight and, and Puff Daddy and their associates. One of Suge Knight's bodyguards got got killed in Atlanta leading up to, to everything. So it's just, it just a real tragic thing because I grew up in Southern California. And for me, Tupac's death is like one of those man on the moon moments like oh, i'll never Thanks. forget yeah. i sure. never forget where i was when i learned about it I, I i only got that feeling again once once kobe passed away right that's the only other time i've had that feeling when these guys you just feel like the the laws of physics aren't supposed to apply to them and they're not supposed to die that young yeah so how old were you when, when pop died marcus i was at clark atlanta so like 19 Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that was crazy. I'll never forget that. I was on the quad on yeah. campus. Did not. I just did not believe it. People crying, pocked out. I'm like, man, heck, nah. It's gonna be. It's gonna be another album. Right. <laughs> and then, then his music came. It came out for so long after that. I was one of those those guys who was like, you know, he's, yeah, he's just chilling in Jamaica, <laughs> right, right, in Jamaica, just chilling, you know. <laughs> Right, especially after Machiavelli come out and he's basically talking about dying in there. Right. Like, man, this is the greatest political PR stunt of all time, right? But man, was yeah, but it, then I, the, the the pictures leaked, so that's that's where yeah. I was like, ooh, this just I just boy, I mean, I know that that comes in all eras, and and the thing is, in in the music business, I mean, people for different reasons a lot of people die young like sometimes it's just drugs and sometimes it's violence but um it's it's tragic you know i just wonder if there if anybody upon reflection said you know what this went way too far like some we somebody needed to step in and stop this before we lost these two giants oh yeah i think that's the the big reflections of a lot of people and you got to imagine that those guys were in their young twenties. Right. And it just feels like life is never going to end and you're invincible and you haven't had, you know, setbacks to make you realize how precious and fleeting life is at that moment. So I think for the people who are in their, you know, fifties or early sixties, when they were in their young twenties back then, I think that's one of the other great reflections that, man, we were so young, but there were ways and warning signs and things that we should have seen for it to not to have gotten as far as it did. And you think about where hip hop was at that moment of time, it was still really, really young and really just entering mainstream. Like I remember thinking like, man, is hip hop even going to survive this? This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. That's back when going platinum was a big deal. Remember that? It was like, <laughs> it was like uh, all eyes on me went five times platinum. We were like, oh, we were going crazy five times platinum. 
Like that, DA, that's our era when you had to buy CDs. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, you right, had right, to, like, right. Go right. to the store. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, go to right. Pepper Mill and get the CDs. Tower Records. You know. You know what I'm saying? The the, the six man, I thought Tower Records would be around forever, man. I ain't gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus was a. Uh, were you just getting kind of the seeds of Outcast coming along when you were in college? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When when I was there, uh, Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music came out in '94. Uh, so when I got there, they were working on uh, AT Aliens, but Goody Mob had dropped in. And the interesting part was, at the time, uh, Looney's I Got Five on It had came out, and I think in 95, and that was like the Oakland anthem, yeah. right? Like, we all knew Looney's from Oakland. But when I went to Atlanta, everybody thought that was Outkast because there's there was a little bit of... I could hear it when I was there, but there was a little bit of similarity in, like... The Oakland and Atlanta kind of southern twang, like there's a little bit of similarity. So I was like, I could see how you thought that was Andre, but so I got there, it was just perfect. I remember Andre and Big Boy like was at our homecoming, mm. right? Like wow. you know they did like a panel, so you know they weren't like huge yet, right? But then AT ATLs you know dropped it, then they they blew up. So it was kind of early organized music level. Uh, and did you ever go to Freaknik? I was there. My fr- my freshman year was the last year of Freaknik, uh, and once I took in Freaknik, I understood why it had to go. <laughs> I've never seen I've never seen anything like that in my life. And it was so out of pocket. Like it right. was. <laughs> it was so even with, out Marcus, of pocket. Marcus, we were saying, yeah, this this is too much. This yeah, no, nah, yeah. Me and my friends, we were like walking around. You know, we freshmen, we knew it. None of us was from there. We like freaking it. We heard freaking it, freaking it. Walking around like, yo, this is this is foul. I'm out, yo. Like, and you can't go nowhere because you're stuck on Peachtree. Like, we just left the car. Like it, it was wild. I've never seen anything like that. Like wow. it was literally it was like, assault. It's like it was like All Star when they had it in Atlanta, and you couldn't. The traffic was there was no place to go. <laughs> you just sit yeah. in your car for an hour, <laughs> nothing, and just like this is too much. Right. Speaking <laughs> of Jonathan, you you um you talk about in the book about how. Uh, hip hop saved a lot of people and like the redeeming qualities of the, the culture and the genre. We often hear about like the negative impacts, the negative aspects of it, right? The, the harmful aspects. And to be fair, there are mm-hmm. harmful aspects of hip hop, but how, how, how would you say it is redeeming and how, how, how did you explain it? It is as a, you know, a salvation for a community of people. I I really think that, hip hop is a reflection of our culture. So there's going to be, you know, redeeming aspects and non-redeeming aspects. And I just, you know, talk to people about the type of influence that it had on their life. So people, they had answers about how hip hop was their education, how hip hop helped them reach for something higher that they didn't know they had within themselves, how Hip hop was almost a, a religion in a redeeming type of way. There's a lot of different anecdotes like those uh, that came through in the book. And I think that was, yeah, that's the book's last last chapter is just a lot of different artists and producers and DJs talking about the impact that it has had and continue, continues to have on their lives. You know, what we really got from it was confidence, man. Like, yeah. like you yeah. had no reason to be confident. Like, where yeah. are you from? And what yeah. you've been like, there's no like tangible reason to be confident, but right. somehow like the culture and the music like forced you to be confident. Well, even thinking mm-hmm. about the beginning of, of hip hop, that's what it did for those kids in the Bronx who were originating it because they didn't have anything else. And seeing the type of response and reaction that they would get from their friends just doing this new thing, it, it gave them validation. I have to, I, I'm, I'm curious about it because it's not my era. Right. You know, that's not what I grew up listening to. That it doesn't mean I back don't then. have. You was like, turn it down. Turn off that. I, actually, no, no, I wasn't. <laughs> I swear to you, I was not. My, my mom was. My mom would say, get that hoppity hip stuff. <laughs> out of the house. She made me take back one of my Tupac CDs, uh, took it back to Tower Records because she all she would do was take one look at the parent parental advisory right. sticker and be like, nope. This well, see, that's the other thing. Like that all came out of Tipper Gore and the Parents Music Research Center. We're going to put 
warning labels on all these see Dolores Tucker and that didn't that wasn't even hip-hop that was like you know that you know rock you know the 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 what what I don't even know what you would call it, but the explicit lyrics in, in rock music in some of the rock albums at the beginning. This was the mid eighties. This was hip hop wasn't on wasn't national back then. You know what I mean? So um I think it was two live crew went up against the PMRC. They were one of the first hip hop groups too. Yeah, yeah. But I want to get back to the whole education because I'm fascinated by how people learn, right? And um however they to me, however they learn is good as long as they learn, right? And so um, how powerful was that as a tool for all kinds of empowerment, to Marcus's point, confidence, you know, kind of social, personal empowerment, but also business empowerment, also um, educational empowerment, also outreach empowerment, social empowerment. I mean, it all kind of came together in the same era where MTV was finally integrating its music, right? Like MTV was famously racist and didn't put black people on the air until Michael Jackson, right? And so all of that was coming together where people say, well, maybe you need to, you know, so that let, that allowed maybe BET to get going. That allowed mm -hmm. MTV to put 106 and Park on. All the things all that, that, that kind of changed how hip hop was viewed. How did that all kind of coalesce as you, as you saw it? So I think it coalesced in a, in a lot of different ways where in that late 80s band, people see the profitability that can come out of hip hop. So you start to see a show like Yo MTV Raps come mm -hmm. off of the hills of MTV not playing rap music videos. And you see somebody, I think it was Cool Mo D explained it to me where how Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing, came out, and then you have Public Enemy mm -hmm. come out with uh, with their anthem for that movie, and everything coalesced at that moment where That's it right. really hadn't before. Yeah. Where you had the young, up-and-coming Black director with this movie out and this socially conscious group, and I think that it just really penetrated the mainstream for the first time at, at that moment with, with Fight the Power, where you really start to see the power behind hip-hop and as far as education is concerned this is like such a such a silly thing but i'll just use this like small example like for me and my family like we didn't grow up taking vacations like we didn't have money like that right so even me listening to a song like jay-z and and beyonce and upgrade you i had never heard of the amalfi coast before so Jay-Z mentioned it in a line and then I looked it up and I was like, oh, this place is beautiful. And it's just a, a silly example, but it ended up being where me and my wife went on our honeymoon <laughs> just because I heard it off of a Jay-Z song. Right? Wow. <laughs> that's dope. <laughs> yeah, no, that's no, but I think that's important because that kids aren't going to learn sitting statically reading a book anymore. This is not how it's going to work today like you have to reach them how you however you can reach them you know and so if they if a, if a lyric reaches them and gets them to say where is the amalfi coast that's good right like that that's beneficial that's that's important you know Kid, but kids you are allowed to read this book for for listeners uh, <laughs> i'll make one exception was this uh as fun as doing the wire all the pieces matter it's funny because the wire, that world is so contained, right? So once I got, once I told David Simon, the creator of the wire, that I wanted to do this book and basically got his blessing, it was downhill from there. Where mm. this one, there is no one hip hop gatekeeper to get in touch with people. So it was, it was a lot more difficult, but I, I'm really happy with the final product and it was rewarding to see it all come together. What do you think? What's what's next? What do you think? What do you, you have another book idea or contract or thoughts? Hey, or don't don't even do that to him. He interviewed 300 <laughs> people. You need to go sit his butt down somewhere. <laughs> go be a family man and re recharge. I bet I see another book from you for the next three years. Right. Not, not yet. Wait, I'm Mark, a, I'm Mark, a, you got 19 books you've written. What are yeah, you talking about? It's Marcus's turn next. Once once I see another book from Marcus, I'll get going. On yeah, yeah I'll be your cue. So you got a minute. You, you got a minute. <laughs> can't be out here come on man this book is crazy that is uh what from your after doing all this where do you think hip-hop is now like do you think 
I'm I'm an old head from the '90s, early 2000s. Gonna be like, this hip hop is trash, right? <laughs> hip hop today is all, but you know, as know. someone who's seen the whole scope, where do you think it is? Where do you think it is now? I think one of the redeeming factors of hip hop is that it's always going to be in the hands of the younger generation, and they're always going to be manipulating it, finding the newest trends, doing stuff that you know I'm not listening to, but. I think that's what's going to keep it eternal and always at the forefront. Um, I can appreciate that I'm not listening to somebody like Lil Baby as much as I'm listening to Tupac or Nas, but these are going to be the classics that today's generation is going to listen to 20 years down the road. It's funny you mentioned that because I always think about that. Like when they when they're old, when they're 50, 55, 60 years old, are they going to really be like listening to Whoop That Trick? Like, I mean, is that really going <laughs> to... At the cookout, at the gig, we had the cookout. They're gonna come up with a dance to it, so all the sixty-year-olds can do it. Yeah, yeah. Like the electric slide, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, right. Like that, I'm telling you, it's gonna be. That's gonna be. I mean, we got we got songs for that. Uh, you know, we got we got wobble and all that. So you yeah. know, the future, the future generation. I just love how you gave the West Coast love. That's all I'm saying. Like, there's a heavy presence of West Coast, so. I appreciate be. that. I mean, you know, right? sometimes you know people act like we don't, we didn't really change the game and all that. So I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad you shouted us out. It's a, you know, I'm West Coast too. I'm no <laughs> expert, but if you don't talk about NWA, what are we talking about? Come on, like even I know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't yeah. seem like it seems like you would have to do that, right? <laughs> and and Marcus, I I know because you're a Bay Area guy that. I think in the whole lexicon of hip hop history, the Bay Area is really uh, underrated for what they've produced and given to hip hop. Absolutely. You hear that, DA? That's what we do. I never argued argued otherwise. (laughs) If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Reddick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, let me get let's let's finish up on this one. What what is the quintessential man the Martian lands on Earth and says, What is hip hop music? What would you play? What would you what would you hit on your on your phone? I would give them Illmatic. 
Oh, you cannot. You cannot just throw up your W flag and then go with Illmatic. It is a quintessential hip hop oh. album. <laughs> quintessential Mark, New that's, York hip hop. That's not even debatable. Oh, come on. <laughs> it is a quintessential. Nah, it is. Come on. It, what what would you give them? Not not ill. Illmatic is the most New York album of all time. It basically says there is no other hip hop music outside of New York. All right. What I mean, would you give him, Mark? Go ahead. What would you give him? Probably probably Biggie. Okay. Probably ready to die. New York guy. I'm not saying nothing against New York. I'm just saying like Illmatic is a very backpack New York like sound where like Biggie is. Biggie is far more universal, right? Everybody likes me. But you got to think about like the time in which Illmatic came out. <laughs> Illmatic was like the the elevation of hip hop at the point. It was like no question no taking question. it another level from what Rakim was doing and building on that whole all the New York lyricists before him. Then he was one of the first the first artists to have all these super producers come and and join together on this one album. I mean, it was just a pristine moment in time that he captured no question uh, no question yeah that, that to me is a quintessential hip-hop album i asked that because i because i just great, to, to me the great i mean everybody has their favorite lyric but you know public enemies <laughs> the, the elvis lyric is just it's just phenomenal <laughs> it's everything you it's history it's you know i just it's it's fantastic like I could probably say Man, it. But I what am I going with? I don't we have know to what I'm, going. I'm trying not to be biased here, but I might. Have what would to go you say? With, uh... Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I think it takes a nation of millions. Hold. I just, I don't yeah. think it's anything better than that. In my limited knowledge of hip hop, so <laughs> yeah, it is a masterpiece. I mean, Illmatic is a masterpiece. Like that's not, that's not questionable. It's just such a origin sound. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Like it's just mm. such a, it's a very, it's a very, like, this is the best of the beginning, like, like the big bang of hip hop, so to speak. <laughs> and then it grows into this huger thing, and it's like, to me, like I would want something that kind of represents the hugeness of it, and not that very distinct sound. But it's obviously like, I mean, when Jay Z got to give him credit for it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you, John, let's, let me ask you this though. Let me, uh, do you think, well, there, it doesn't seem like there have been as many kind of collaborations cross genre, like you said, with, with um, Run DMC and Aerosmith to walk this way, right? Like that was just so weirdly weird. And maybe it was a one-off. Is that ever a possibility down the road? You think in any type of meaningful way, or were they always just kind of be a series of one-offs between those very different styles. <laughs> you know, what came to mind was that, that CD that, uh, I think they may have done two CDs together that, that Jay-Z is trying to make everybody forget about that he did with R. The Kelly. Lincoln Park? Oh, R. No, Kelly, the, best of both worlds. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there may be different reasons. Hey, cost him a friend, too, right? Like, <laughs> may not be musical reasons. <laughs> I do think that, right, today's, the, the pop stars of today take take things from everywhere, right? Like Ariana Grande is doing trap music, right? <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's universal at this point. Right. Hey, uh, all right, I got to ask you this. Since you talked to all these people, what do they say about Eminem? <laughs> he... <laughs> I, I, I don't know how much I actually talked to specific people about Eminem. Uh, Rhyme Fest was somebody who came up with Eminem, and I know that I talked to him about battling him at some point. I think it's it's just one of those things, right? Where he's he's talented, and I don't know if people bemoan him or not because of that, but he's definitely one of those guys who brought over hip hop to mainstream, and you know. This race probably has a large part to do with that, but he's also somebody who has helped black artists along the way. Right. And he does and have also talent, obviously right? I mean, talented. He, yeah. he does have some talent now. <laughs> yeah, no, he's obviously talented. Like, that's the tricky part about Eminem. Like, yeah. there's a part of you that wants to be like, nah, B. Right. Nah. It would be a... <laughs> But he's so yeah, good. There's, there's, there's been other good, people right? like, like Vanilla Ice who 
right, you know, right, right. Their ability yeah. spoke for itself after a while. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but oh, it was it. I can't believe you uh, went from Grantland to writing hip hop like historical books that are going to be in the like Library of Congress. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm so proud of this dude. Like, this is unbelievable. That's great, man. I That's appreciate you. Unbelievable. unbelievable. Who you got winning the title this year? We're gonna go with the Golden State. What? Oh, you back West Coast now? <laughs> Hey, I'm, I'm fair in my assessments, I'm, man. I'm surprised I you to say Brooklyn. No. <laughs> hey, in '96, in '96, we we'd have been fighting about this. If you'd have said, if you'd have said a Nas album as an answer to anything in '97 90, during the height of the East Coast West Coast wars, right? It was right. crazy. Oh Snoop Dogg ain't got no love in New York. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my god. Is that one of your seminal moments, by the way? In the book, that, yeah. That, yeah, was, yeah, that yeah. was a huge moment because huge the 95 moment. Source Awards, it wasn't just that whole thing, but it was also Outkast getting on stage and Andre the 3000 saying South say, got baby. Say, yeah. That was huge, yeah. I was in Atlanta at the time. So, yeah, that, that, they took that as their, like, I have a dream speech at the time. It was, you know it was a rallying cry. And it yeah, wasn't it was just... Like, it wasn't just Atlanta, right? He said the South, so it was like the Memphis, South. Yeah, it was everybody. Louis uh, Ball, MJG, yep. and all them. Yeah, yep. that was that was a big era. That was big. So you going with you going with the Warriors? All right, I'm with you. I am. I'm sure you guys have made your picks before, but let me hear. Well, I haven't made them yet. Yeah, I haven't made them. Oh, yeah. I kind of like, I kinda you're, like you're the, the only one today, picking up this early. I kind of like the Clippers. So I ain't gonna lie. Hmm. Clippers look scary, man. Clippers look good. <laughs> but you know, I, I think yeah, to me, Clippers, Warriors, and I think Bucks, man. I think Bucks, this is perfectly lined up. Nobody's paying attention to Milwaukee sure. at all. Sure. Right? As long so, as Middleton is, is healthy and straight, yes. Yes. Yeah. I think the, the GMs pick Milwaukee. I think yeah, Boston, I mean, Boston being kind of, I don't know what's going on with Boston, right? Like it's so weird and Gallinari getting hurt. I think that kind of opens the path a little bit wider for Milwaukee to kind of slide in there, back in there. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm totally on this. Because ain't nobody figured that big dude out yet. <laughs> he's, he's still that dude, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Although you know, Philly will like, be good. Philly's going to be good, I think. Philly's going to be real good, I think. You think so? Yes, yes. Because they can play PJ at the five if they want to give – and beat a blow. PJ's actually better at the five than, than than a lot of backup centers in the league. And they can play that way now. And then adding Melton and the other guys they've added in, they can shoot now, you know, so that swing swing that wound up with somebody who a non-shooter shooting an open three is now going to be somebody that shoots 38, 39 on threes making that it'll either be Tucker or it'll be Melton. And I'm, I'm blanking on they had three editions and then the biggest one was the one I'm blanking on um, that that can all shoot. You know what I mean? So it's going to be much different, a much different outcome for them this year when teams double team MB than they've had in previous seasons. I think now they, you know, it, it will they do have to make have be good with injuries and Harden's got to accept who he is at this point of his career. But I think he will. I think he will. And that's going to make them, I think, very difficult to beat. But having said that, I still think Milwaukee is going to come out the East. I'm, I'm with I'm with you, Jonathan. Like until I see a healthy Steph play and Draymond lose, I don't I don't think it's happening. Facts. If, if, they're, if they're healthy, they, them dudes are just they're just so tough. Yeah, and so. Clay should Clay should be better this year too. Yes. And no Wiggins is apparently like a new guy now. So. Yeah. Like, yeah. And everybody got like five dudes playing for contracts. Well, but see that <laughs> I always worry about well, maybe it won't um, be so bad years. for them. But it's I always worry when you got more than two dudes on a contract year on any team. Yeah, you worry about Jordan Poole. That's who you worry about. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, sir. I, I know my now, book will get here eventually. Thank well, you, my man. Especially since my name is in it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, DA, did I tell you my name was in there? Did you look in the back? You turned to the back my, immediately. My name, my name is indexed. in the book. Yeah. Look up your name. <laughs> Which means my name is going to be in the Library of Congress. Your name's already <laughs> in the Library of Congress. Yeah, <laughs> With your 75 books that you've written already. <laughs> no, this is great. I really, really appreciate you guys. 
man, good luck, man. I hope it turns out great for you. I hope there's more books in it because your books are fantastic. It's a wonderful read to come up, history of hip hop, oral history of hip hop. I love oral histories. They're the best. And so read this, take take a, a few hours and just enjoy the read. It's great. I got I got a new book idea for you. You should your next book should just be on black people. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to narrow it down at all. No, I mean you like these big broad things. So I just figure you went to hip hop. Now you just spread out. Like, go bigger. Right? Seventy five thousand words. <laughs> He's like, I did a thousand interviews. For chapter I did one. Four million interviews. For five years. <laughs> I talked to every black person on earth. <laughs> there you go. You like, you like the big topics. There you go. Right. All right. Black All right. People. Challenge. Challenge taken. Volume six thousand black people. <laughs> Appreciate you. Leave right, the, have a good one. Leave the five star review on Apple, on Spotify, Google Play, everywhere you get this fine American podcast. Mar- Marcus, Marcus, Marcus. <clears throat> if they can't leave five stars on the on the review, what do they need to do? Keep it to yourself, you haters. Haters. Later. You did go from writing about like high schools to pros to a TV show to hip hop. <laughs> like. I am very honored and humbled to be enshrined in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame 2022 class. I appreciate it and thank you very much. We, man, first of all, I'd like to give thanks to the man above, man. Without him, none of this would be possible. A kid from the east side of Chicago who made it all the way to Springfield, Massachusetts. Incredible. Like many enshrined in the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, my basketball journey was far from smooth. And it was against all odds. My path was filled with obstacles and doubts. Yet it was also a beautifully paved road filled with inspirational men and women who guided me, shaped every step of the way. Isaiah Thomas. A Chicago legend. First time I saw Isaiah, I was in sixth grade. My grammar school basketball coach, Donald Pittman, didn't miss words when he told me. Tim, you patting your game after Isaiah. <laughs> I certainly tried. Yolanda Griffin, another Chicago Hoops legend. Played basketball at the same high school, Carver Military Academy. My other presenter, Nate Tiny Archibald. Yes. Chris Mullen and Mitch Richmond. Ron TMC. When I came into the NBA, those two guys taught me everything. How to be a pro, how to take care of myself. And they would ask me, Tim, how great do you really want to be? See, Mullen and Rock, they made me who I am today. And Ron TMC, man, we were ahead of our time. Early in life, you might say the ball didn't bounce my way. My parents, Mom Gwendolyn, Donald Hardaway divorced when I was in grammar school. But what I did know, because I saw it firsthand, was the role and sacrifice my mom made for my brother Donald and I. My mom always talked about her boy. She took days off from work and didn't get paid. She wanted to make sure I was safe. So I knew where I was going. My dad, another Chicago hoop legend. Yes, sir. He made sure no one messed with us, me or my brother. Dad and mom, I love you to death. Without you all, this wouldn't be a night that's happening. I want to thank my brother Donald. Like Pat Riley once said, adversity introduces a man to himself. And everybody think that they not my number one fan. That's my number one fan right there. To my three wonderful children, Tim Jr., Naya, and me. My Hall of Fame coach at UTEP, Don Haskins, who made a historic mark on the game and on society when he started five African Americans against Adolph Rupp and the Kentucky Wildcats in the 1966 NCAA title game. The innovator, Don Nelson. He lied to every team and said my knees was shot 
So I would fall to the Warriors with the 14th pick, and he drafted me. Thank you, Mickey Harrison, the Heat organization, and Pat Riley for trusting me to take the team to the next level when everybody thought I was done. He's not here today. I want y'all to really hear this. He was my confidant, a father figure, and a guy to always talk to. And he was one of the greatest agents in the business. Great, great, great Henry Thomas. Lastly, a huge thank you to Jerry Colangelo, Adam Silver, and the late David Stern. Man who never wavered and never believed in me, even when it wasn't always popular. Thank you. I want to say this. This bigger than Tim Hardaway. This for the South Side of Chicago. South Side? Well, I can't name all you all, but you all know who y'all are, and I love y'all to death. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for sure.